Hello, I'm James Nurse, a paediatrician, social media editor of the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease and host of the GMD podcast. Regular listeners will know that the podcast is a chance for our journal authors to discuss their work in a more informal setting and encourage you to go and read their paper. If you're interested in metabolic medicine, you might want to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn or even Instagram, but not before listening to this latest episode on newborn screening in X-Linked ALD. Hello there. Now, I've spoken with lots of guests in the last two years, and we often close out interviews talking about their future plans. And I often say they'll have to come back and discuss them when they're done. Evidently, not all of them are just nodding politely, because today, Dr. Stefan Camp from the Laboratory of Genetic Metabolic Diseases at UMC Amsterdam has made good on his promise. I first spoke with Stefan at the end of 2020 about modelling in ALD, and he teased his screening project then, and I'm delighted that he's returned to talk about sex-specific newborn screening for X-linked adrenal leukodystrophy. Stefan, welcome back. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Now, this is, uh, I think, fourth podcast, actually, with ALD as the central theme. So I hope that listeners are very familiar with the condition. Uh, in a nutshell, it's the accumulation of very long-chain fatty acids in the tissues and plasma leading to a variable phenotype, including the risk of adrenal insufficiency, a progressive myeloneuropathy, and cerebral inflammatory disease, or cerebral ALD. So um, can we start with the elephant in the room? Why sex-specific screening? I mean, that's completely new, isn't it? Yeah, that is correct. Um, there are actually there is no example of a sex-specific screening program for any disease anywhere in the world. I think I should start with the beginning. In the Netherlands, the recommendations regarding those conditions that qualify for newborn screening are made by the Health Council, and the Health Council follows the Wilson and Younger criteria rather strict. So, besides the availability of a treatment and whether you can diagnose the disease using blood from a hubric from a newborn. The most important criterion is that there should be a direct benefit for the newborn. So for ALD, which is an X-linked disease that raises some concerns and discussion uh, in the health council, ALD is a monogenic disease that is caused by pathogenic variants in the ABCD1 gene. And the clinical outcome, however, as you mentioned already, is very diverse and it cannot be predicted when you know the mutation. So there are basically three core clinical outcomes. Boys before the age of 10, they have a 50% chance of developing adrenal disease. And also boys before the age of 10 had a one out of three chance of developing severe inflammatory brain disease. And in adulthood, all males and females, they develop a slowly progressive spinal cord disease. Importantly, and of course, there are always exceptions. It's only the boys that are at risk of developing the adrenal disease or the, the brain disease. And for these boys, there's treatment available. And especially for the cerebral disease and for the adrenal disease. But the uh, cerebral disease can be treated with, very effectively with a BOMO transplant. But this is only effective in the earliest phase of the disease. And to illustrate this, if boys have developed already neurological symptoms, they are already too advanced for treatment. And because girls do not develop adrenal disease and cerebral disease, there's no benefit for them to be diagnosed at birth. And that was the main reason why the Health Council recommended to only screen boys for ALD. Okay, I mean, and we talked about that last time, actually, this, this screening approach for boys once identified for looking with serial MRI scanning, looking for evidence of, of neurological disease before symptom onset. Yeah. And with this male-specific screening that you were doing, you achieved this with something that you referred to as an, an X-counter. What are the advantages of that approach? Yeah, so before we started, we investigated several options that would allow us to identify boys. 
So first we looked at the Guthrie card or the Hubrick cards. There is a box there that marks boy or girl. Uh, but it turned out that the, the, these cards are all, not always filled out completely for whatever reasons that are unknown to us. So therefore, we had decided that we had to uh, develop a test or a tier that would allow us to identify boys by using blood from the blood spot card. Of course, when you think of an X-linked disease in boys, the obvious choice would be to screen for the presence of a Y chromosome. But before diving deeper into this, there's another important recommendation that Health Council made, and that is that the screening should not identify unwanted findings or untreatable diseases. So when you would screen for the presence of a Y chromosome, uh, we would not be able to distinguish between newborns with Kleinfeld syndrome, which is XXY, and Kleinfeld syndrome qualifies as an unwanted finding coming out of newborn screening. Now, one would argue that counting X chromosomes, we will also pick up newborns with Turner syndrome. And that is, of course, that's correct. That's an X zero, so there's no Y chromosome. But it's important to realize that in both cases, the screening will stop in the next tier when the C26 lysa PC is normal. However, if the C26 lysa PC is still elevated in the third tier and in the final tier, we would identify a variant in the ABCD1 gene. There are differences between a newborn with Kleinfelter and ALD and a newborn with Turner and ALD. A newborn with both Kleinfelter syndrome and ALD will have the same outcome with respect to ALD as a girl due to the presence of the two X chromosomes. But a newborn with Turner syndrome and ALD will have the same risk of developing adrenal disease or cerebral ALD as a boy with ALD because there's only one X chromosome. So there's no backup. So a newborn with both Turner syndrome and ALD would benefit from early diagnosis coming out of the screening as much as a boy with ALD. And this is a condition that it's X-linked, but it certainly manifests in females with the later onset um, myeloneuropathy. Is the decision not to screen females based on the lack of an effective intervention or treatment? I mean, certainly we've we've heard in a recent podcast about a, a therapy, not so much a treatment, but certainly something that should ameliorate some of the disease if it, if it works in, in humans. But does that mean should a new treatment arrive with the balance shift, would you then start screening the females? Well, the decision not to screen females and identify affected girls, it's not based on the lack of an effective treatment for girls or adult onset disease at all. Uh, the main reason why the Health Council recommended not to screen girls is because affected women do not develop ALD-related symptoms until they reach adulthood. And an adult uh, onset disease does not meet the criteria for newborn screening. So the Dutch Health Council reasoned that girls should be protected from the burden of knowledge that they are affected with an adult onset disease. So it's not the lack of a treatment. Well, it's not the, the time or the place to debate sort of paternalistic health policies and what people should and shouldn't know, I suppose. Uh, no, luckily I'm not uh, in that room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, this is, this, we, we're just going to talk about things here. We weren't making decisions. Um, so aside from the X counter, the rest of the pipeline is, I think, quite similar to screening approaches that have been used elsewhere. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. You refer to United States. ALD numerous screening started in New York State in 2013. Um, and we uh, they used a three-tier program or pipeline that was developed by Joe Orsini and uh, his colleagues at the uh, New York State Newborn Screening Program. And it consists of a three-tier program. And in the first tier, the C26 Lysa PC is measured in a multiplex analysis that often uses the Neobase toolkit. And in that analysis, there are internal standards available for biomarkers for specific diseases. So in, in this one analysis, you can screen for, for example, for uh, azocarnitines that are biomarkers for mitochondrial fatty acid oxidation disorders or organic acidurias and many other diseases. And this first tier is a high throughput assay, and it's performed in a newborn screening labs. 
And then samples that are above the cutoff are considered screen positives. These samples then go to tier two. And in our case, the X counter, this step is done at the Department of Human Genetics of the Amsterdam University Medical Centers. And then the samples that contain one X chromosome are sent to the Laboratory for Genetic Metabolic Diseases at the Amsterdam University Medical Centers, where tier three is then analyzed. And in tier three, we again measure C20 glycopc, but now with a uh, more sensitive and more specific analysis, which also requires more analysis time. And then if again, the C26 glycopc is elevated, uh, the sample goes to the fourth tier, and that is the analysis of the ABCD1 gene. And then only if there's a variant in the ABCD1 gene, there is a referral to the, uh, the pediatric neurologies uh, at the Amsterdam Leukodystrophy Center. This paper describes the outcomes of a one-year pilot study. I wonder if you could just take me through the numbers. So we, we did a pilot in four provinces of the Netherlands, and all newborns that were born in these four provinces, they were offered to participate in the ALD newborn screening pilot. And then after the pilot, we uh, and with permission of the relevant committee, we obtained anonymized data regarding gestational age, sex, birth weight, and age when the UPRIC was taken. And this data was used for further analysis. So now we know how many babies they were born. So in 2021, in these four provinces, exactly 72,379 babies were born. And because this was a pilot, at several occasions during pregnancy and following the birth of the child, the parents received information regarding participation in the AOD pilot. So we had developed a brochure and we had developed a website. And so when the HUPRIC was performed, parents were again informed about the pilot and informed consent was obtained because this is a pilot. So if parents declined not to participate in the trial, uh, this was marked in the Guthrie card and then the C20 glycopc PC was not analyzed. So now coming back to your questions about the numbers, of these uh, 72,000 babies, 1,171 parents declined to participate in the trial in, or to have their child being tested for LD. Whether they declined in screening for LD or newborn screening in general, we, we don't know. So then we are left with 71,208 cards, and these went to tier one. So the test of C20 utilized APC in the newborn screening labs. Of these, 570 were above the cutoff level. And these cards were then sent to the X counter for sex determination. Of these 507, 258 were from a girl and 249 were from a boy. Of these 249 cards from a boy that were screened in tier three, 20 cards had elevated C20 glycer PC levels. And these 20 cards were then sent out for sequencing of the ABCD1 gene. And in four cases, a variant in the ABCD1 gene was found. So these, these boys were referred. And what we're really proud of is that the way we organize this next step, referral. So following the identification of an ABCD1 variant, the medical advisor of the newborn screening program in the Netherlands receives a notification that a boy with a positive newborn screening result is identified. So in the case of ALD, what, what happens then is that the medical advisor of the newborn screening program contacts the pediatric neurologist at the Amsterdam Leukodystrophy Center and then already an appointment for the family was scheduled. So without the family even knowing this. Next, the medical advisor contacts the family physician of that particular family of that boy. Then the family physician contacts the family. And with the help of some high level information regarding ALD that we provided, the family physician informed the family of, of the newborn screening result. And then within 24 hours after this visit, 
the family already met the AOD expert at the Amsterdam University Medical Center. So we had planned this before the pilot started. And yeah, now we know that it worked out perfectly uh, the way we had organized it. All four families did see the, uh, the specialist within 24 hours. And we heard that they all really appreciated this enormously. So it's difficult, isn't it, that first contact? Is it better to have someone who is familiar or someone who is expert? Uh, yeah, so so in this case, they are very lucky because they will meet with Mark Engelen, my uh, co-PI of our research group, and he is a, a worldwide AOD expert. And um, well, he, he's the best person to to ask whatever question they have. So, I mean, were you happy with the screening test performance? Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that we identified and picked up four boys with AOD was a, is a huge success, of course. The screening algorithm that we developed and had tested before and validated extensively before we started, it worked out beautifully. The logistics, because we are sharing samples between two screening labs, uh, the Department of Human Genetics and the Laboratory of Genetic Metabolic Diseases, was, of course, a huge challenge. There are specific mail with, with tubes, with, with, with blood spots being sent, uh, but it functioned really well. And if, of course, a challenge that we have to complete within 35 days, the turnaround time, that was met in all cases, because in the Netherlands, parents do receive notification of the screening result no later than 35 days after the heel prick is taken. And in all 20 cases where we had to go through four tiers, including the ABCD1 sequencing, we, we completed it within three to four weeks. And when we completed the pilot, we also performed additional analyses to investigate the effects of several covariates uh, that may affect the C26 lysa PC concentration. With this, we could answer a few questions that are just out there that nobody has the answer to. For example, what should be done when a premature baby is born? Should we, the child be screened again at term age? Does uh, the age of uh, at screening or the birth weight or the sex of the newborn affect the C26 lysa PC concentration? Nobody knew before, but, but now we, we could answer that too. What was really super is that we obtained permission to analyze the anonymous data to answer these questions. And by analyzing the data of 72,000 newborns, we could conclude that the age of screening, at least within the first 10 days of life, and in general, 99% of new pricks uh, samples are taken in these first 10 days, or the sex of the newborn, gestational age, or the birth weight, all had little or no effect of C26 lysa PC. So this means that we do not need to adjust uh, cutoffs depending on any of these covariates. And mo I think most importantly is that a premature baby does not need to screen again for ALD when it reaches full-term age. And I mean, you had four positives from the sort of best part of, well, just over 70,000 uh, or so infants that were screened. That's quite a high incidence for the disease. Was was that a surprise? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually it is. And uh, I think I can tell you a funny story about this. So uh, let me start by based on the on the prevalence of ALD, we anticipated to pick up two, maybe four boys. But statistics can be very funny. So the pilot run in 2021. And uh, in November, I presented the data up to then at three international conferences. So the International Society for Newborn Screening, then uh, a meeting in uh, the UK, the Alex, uh, the, the Leukodystrophy Charity, and the next day at the ALD Connect annual meeting uh, in the United States, all online. And at that time, when I presented all this, we had identified and referred one boy. And after my talk, I received several questions regarding the one boy that we had identified in, in roughly 50,000 newborns. 
Yeah, and what it did that with the expected prevalence of ALD in the Netherlands. And I came up with some, I thought, very clever factors that may explain the lower ALD prevalence in the Netherlands. Uh, like we have centralized care, we have a center of excellence for ALD, and most ALD families are known to us. So I think at that time it all made perfect sense to me and, uh, and to <laughs> the, the, the people who asked the question. But then in the next five weeks, the final five weeks of 2021, we identified three additional boys with ALD. And in fact, we identified two on one day. These were unrelated boys, uh, born in different families in different provinces. Yes, and now we certainly have one in 9,000 boys. That is indeed higher than we anticipated. And of course, the, the numbers are still relatively small. So we expect that when we start screening nationwide and the numbers are increasing that eventually we will move in the direction of the expected one in 50,000. We'll just have to see what uh, what time will tell. Um, what is, yeah. I mean, the, the last stage of your pipeline <laughs> is ABCD1 gene sequencing. Yeah. I suppose you have to question at what stage screening becomes a diagnostic test. But given the children have already got a proven metabolic perturbation at this stage, is there a risk that reliance on sequencing could result in missed disease? Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. Whether we missed a case, that's really hard to tell. I can only say the future will tell. But so far worldwide, I have not heard of any missed case in a state or country that screens for LD. But LD has a very unpredictable future. So this might really take more than a decade to, to find out and to answer this question. Well, what I can say is that thus far, all ABCD1 pathogenic variants are in the open reading frame of the gene or in close proximity of the intranexon boundaries. But never say never. I think the chance that of a mixed uh, case is really very small. What I'm worried about more is that we may overdiagnosing ALD. Uh, this is also part of the discussion in the paper. So next to our ALD research, I'm also the, the curator uh, of the ABCD1 variant database at adrenalucatively.info, a website that I started in 1999 together with Professor Hugo Moser at the Kennedy Creek Institute at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, where I did part of my PhD. And currently, there are more than a thousand different pathogenic variants registered in the database. This means that many ALD families have unique or a private ABCD1 variants. So when we identify a new variant in ABCD1, we're not so surprised. But the identification of a boy with a new variant, which is referred to as a variant of uncertain significance or FUS, results in a referral to an ALD expert or a metabolic center. Then if this variant is a clearly pathogenic mutation, so a deleterious mutation, so it affects the protein because it's a nonsense variant or a frame shift or a large deletion, it's clearly pathogenic. So that's not a problem. But when this variant affects only one amino acid, so a missense variant, this causes diagnostic uncertainty. Of course, you will do repeat biochemical testing. And then if the ferromotivity acids are clearly in the established ALD range, you have an extra part of the, the puzzle that it, it's a truly pathogenic mutation. But of course, we always miss the, the clinical outcome because these newborns with ALD don't have clinical signs and symptoms. The disease doesn't start before they're uh, at least six months, but it can also be uh, at a later age. So the big problem arises when the new variant results in a biochemical abnormality that is just above the established control range, but below the LD range. And we, we refer to this, this intermediate range as the, the gray zone. And what I've noticed is that since the, the start of the LD numerous screening, we see a rise in the number of VASs that are being detected in ABCD1. And most of these, they come from newborn screening. And as I said, it's important to realize that newborns with LD are free of symptoms. So this makes ruling whether 
this variant is truly pathogenic, very complicated. And there's some concern that because we moved from confirmatory testing in the past, so where a patient would visit the doctor, if the, the, the signs and symptoms hint towards ALD, you can confirm the diagnosis by a simple blood test. Now we are screening newborns that are all clinically healthy in the case of LD. So I suspect that there's an increased chance that we are now also identifying late onset or even mild variants or maybe non-disease variants that do affect the LD proteins in such a way that the C26 level PC is elevated. Well, often we do not know where uh, on the scale from, from control to disease, how, how far the, they are elevated. And there's also a chance that now we are identifying variants that in the past would never have resulted in referral to an AOD specialist. And this is a problem that is really recognized in the AOD community. I think the nice thing about uh, the AOD communities is that AOD researchers, physicians, and affected families uh, are really well organized in different uh, organizations. And there are many open collaborations and open communication among AOD research groups and AOD centers. And I think we really need this to address this potential problem because this may jeopardize a newborn screening program. If you, if you refer too many newborns that in the end turn out not to have the disease, that, that will jeopardize the program. So to tackle this, for example, within the AOD Alliance, where there's a quarterly meeting to discuss this, and it's in the United States. So many of the states that screen for LD participate in this discussion. And yeah, there we talk about, do we need to adjust cutoffs? If you raise the cutoff, you, you also limit the amount of sequencing you do. And I think that there's a lesser chance that you might, will identify mild variants that do not qualify for newborn screening. Yeah, and of course, then you need to share information. Of course, it's always anonymized information on the individual with specific ABCD1 variants. And because of the database, I'm actively, actively approached by many ALD families and they want to participate in these efforts. And I think that's really crucial. And we talked about this in terms of ALD, but the, the fact that you're using the, the, the gene sequencing means that you're not looking at other disorders of long chain fat metabolism, which, which potentially do get flagged by this screening approach, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, uh, the C26 lysa PC is not specific for LD. So if you if you measure C26 lysa PC, uh, you will also identify Zellweger syndrome, which is a generalized proxosomal disorder, or isolated proxosomal enzyme deficiencies like uh, ACOX1 deficiency or a multifunctional protein, but also the ACBD5 protein, and also some subtypes of Arcadi Coutier syndrome. For whatever reason, we, we, we don't understand this. Some of these, these cases are also identified through newborn screening based on C26 lysa PC. But in our screening, yeah, we have, we have to finish with the ABCD1 uh, sequencing. So if there's nothing there, we stop. So we don't find them. Well, I suppose that's another discussion for another time, isn't it, really? Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is really impressive stuff. I mean, when you first spoke to me about this at the end of 2020, it all sounded very exciting. You've, you've proven your concept. You've picked up these unexpectedly large number of cases. Um, what happens next? Uh, my role as a project leader is, is over. So uh, I spent, I think, 60% uh, of my time on this pilot because I wanted to be involved in everything. This was a huge learning curve. And uh, yeah, what's the chance that you are involved in such a Wonderful project. Uh, but now, so now I'm focusing on research again. And um, so, yeah, the report describes that we have a very successful pilot and we have proven that it's feasible to, yeah, to employ a boys only screening algorithm that identifies boy with ALD without identifying 
untreatable diseases, as I've mentioned. Yeah, we are ready for nationwide screening, but we have to await the go-ahead sign of the Minister of Health because we need governmental approval before ALD new one screening can start nationwide. Uh, but in the meantime, of course, we are preparing for this to be ready. So, yeah, if, if everything works out well, we are aimed to start October 2023. Yeah, and in addition, uh, with my colleague, Mark Engler, who I mentioned before, he's a pediatric neurologist and ALD specialist and co-PI of our research team. Uh, Mark and I, we are collaborating with several countries that are considering to include ALD in their new screening program. We have developed the algorithm to pick up only boys and to screen only boys. And like when we nominated ALD for uh, newborn screening in Netherlands, and when we received all the required data from our colleagues in the United States, we are now sharing our knowledge and our do's and don'ts with these countries. And I think that the fact that there are now two ways to screen, there are two flavors. So there's an algorithm in which you screen everybody, and there's one that you only screen boys. And yeah, we hope that this would speed up efforts in these countries. Because I think one thing is absolutely clear, newborn screening does save lives. And it's your work that is going to help save those lives. So congratulations and, and really thank you for what you've done. If you would like to read Stefan's paper, it's open access on the journal web pages. You can find it by searching for sex-specific screening for ALD or by clicking the link in the podcast description. Um, Stefan, thank you again for speaking with me. I hope that I'll hear more about your work in future. Well, thank you very much, James. It was a pleasure. And thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.